So uh, today we are uh, we're still in uh, Genesis, and uh, uh, I was really uh, working hard to figure out um, how to. Uh, <laughs> I have several motives. One is moving al- moving right along uh, without uh, doing damage to uh, <laughs> you know the text. You know what I mean? Uh, and so uh, we're in a very interesting place that makes for really an, a very interesting Bible study. Uh, and we're going to talk a little bit about it, but we want to not just dwell on it. And that is, uh, you know, beginning in chapter 45 of Genesis to the end, you know, uh, basically it's the story of, like we talked about last week in the big picture, the reconciliation of the brothers and, uh, you know, and, and Jacob and his sons and and how Jacob gets to see his grandchildren and bless them uh, and give like a prophetic blessing over every one of his sons. And, and he's respected when he dies. Uh, they're weeping for him in Egypt. Uh, his sons uh, respect him and their families. And he's buried in the cave in Machpelah, you know, back in Canaan, right where he wanted to be. So so, you know, the best, remember what I said last week? Anybody remember anything about last week? Anyway, never mind. It was good. I just can't remember what it was about. But anyway, uh, and that is uh, that uh, the best years of Jacob's life were at the end of his life. It was the richest, best time of, of his life. Because when all is said and done, remember, it's not about cattle. It's not about business. It's not about what I've accomplished and done. It's about my family. It's about... Who's surrounding me and who loves me and, you know, and all, all of those kinds of, of things for, for most of us, right? Uh, of course, there are some who do really, you know, extraordinary things and absolutely change the world. And it's obviously important to remember that as well. Uh, but I, uh, when you look at Jacob's life, it is really the, the, the best years of his life. Now we're going to break this down a little bit. We kind of looked at that in the big picture. But where the portion where we left off last time is a section that doesn't seem to fit. It kind of fits. It's about Joseph and his administration and uh, how Joseph actually goes about with his wisdom saving the day in in Egypt, right? So I have to be honest. I thought to myself, do I want to spend an entire message on that or do I want to get to like the the big story, you know, and, and really focus on it? And so I realized, after thinking about it for a while, it's all part of the same story. Because the one thing that we have to remember in all of this, regarding the end of Jacob's life and and Joseph and how he saves the day in Egypt, is that they are indeed in Egypt. That this whole story is taking place, at least from here on out, of course, uh, in Egypt and not in the promised land, right? Uh, and it really does apply to us, I think, uh, you know, in some really very interesting ways. So the first thing that we want to notice here in uh, chapter 47, toward the middle or end of chapter 47, from verses 13 to 26, this is this little section that explains in detail what Joseph did. And I'm just going to summarize it. I don't want to take the time to read the whole thing, but I'm going to summarize it, okay? First of all, Joseph is absolutely in power in Egypt. Yes, Pharaoh is over him, but Joseph is holding, 
the keys to the middle kingdom. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, Joseph is holding the keys. Joseph has the power to either save or destroy Egypt. It's, it's, it's amazing, right? So we know that he saves Egypt, uh, obviously. We know that, and we know that his family's already there. His family's already dwelling in this great land of Goshen, uh, and uh, they're, uh, you know, they're all safe and sound and, and all of that. Uh, and uh, now Joseph, now the famine has come, right? And basically what Joseph does, bottom line, he accumulates... All the land, and he nationalizes everything in Egypt. That's what he does. That's what he does. Uh, the land is all given to uh, Pharaoh. The cattle's given to Pharaoh. Everything they have is given to Pharaoh, right? Uh, because they're running out of money. There's no crops. There's, it's terrible, right? And so everybody basically has to give everything to the uh, kingdom. And then what does Joseph do? And then he even, he even moves people around. He takes people out of the cities and puts them in other places. Can you imagine if that ever happened here? Oh, we'd be crying. As, as we say, we'd be crying our eyes out, right? We'd say, this is not right. Uh, this is unjust. Uh, this is not how it's supposed to be, right? Uh, and, uh, but, but what is Joseph? Joseph is absolutely benevolent. He's absolutely benevolent, right? He's taking care of everybody. Everybody's taking care of, but... It is kind of interesting. It is a form of government uh, that uh, usually we are uh, might be quite skeptical uh, of, right? Uh, and so it's kind of interesting. I find it just, I'll just say as a little side note, I find it fascinating that most believers don't like say, well, this is what, he, this is what it says in the Bible, and so this is how we ought to live. <laughs> oh boy, huh? Now there's a Bible challenge for you. Okay, right. Okay, so what, one of the things we learn uh, about this is, is that when it comes to human government, there is not a form of this is the right way to do it. That's what you learn. Even in the U.S. of A., right, there is no one form of Different countries, different parts of the world do things differently, but what is the godly form of government? One that is ethical. One that takes care of takes care of people, one that makes sure that that people aren't starving, uh, you know, widows and orphans, those who are vulnerable are, are cared for. You can say whatever you want, but that's what the Bible says. Okay, uh, the problem is human nature, right? That's the problem. The problem is fallen human nature from leaders on down. That's where the that's where the problems are. So it's just, it's a very interesting uh, section there of when you just read about what he does, it, it'll like start, start to rub you the wrong way. Like, wait a minute, I don't know if I like this or not. But uh, the point is, is that he's saving the day. Now, there's another thing I'm going to say about that. And uh, that is uh, that uh, it's kind of a, uh, a picture uh, of, well, first I'll say uh, of the Lord, picture of Yeshua, right? Uh, ultimately, everything belongs to Yeshua, right? He's the king. He is uh, the one whom we serve, right? And, uh, and we give back to him and he distributes to us. And so it's kind of like a model of Yeshua as the king. And, 
And uh, we could say the day will come when Yeshua will sit on his throne in Jerusalem and the nations will come and they'll learn from him uh, and he'll make sure that people are provided for. But I'm not sure we're going to be voting for anything. I just don't know. I'm not sure about that. I just don't find that in the text. But it's just kind of interesting. So what Joseph is doing is it kind of reminds you of Yeshua and, and the rule of the Messiah. And so once again, we find Joseph to be sort of like a, a type of a Mashiach, a type of Messiah. Uh, and here in a very practical uh, and meaningful way, uh, you know, there in, uh, in, in Egypt. Uh, and there's probably a lot more we could say uh, about that. But he's also a model uh, of, or almost like a, a prophetic model of Israel. Israel among the nations, right? Uh, uh, we read, uh, uh, for example, uh, in the uh, 29th uh, chapter, I believe it's the 29th chapter of uh, Jeremiah. You know, a, a very uh, famous passage. Uh, and, and what's interesting about this is, about Jeremiah, is we don't have a lot, uh, we have a lot of uh, prophetic passages warning the people uh, to repent so that they don't go into captivity, right? But Jeremiah is kind of unique uh, in, what he, um, in what he tells the, uh, in what he tells the, uh, the people, okay? Uh, I believe it's here somewhere. Is it? Yes, I believe it's chapter 29. Yes. Okay. So uh, here, yes, there it is. Uh, Jeremiah was considered by some to be a traitor. Considered by some to be a traitor. Uh, you know, in fact, he tells the people, don't listen to the prophets who are telling you it's going to be okay. Because it isn't going to be okay. You know, the ones who are saying, uh, you know, we're, we're the chosen people. Nothing can happen to us uh, and, and everything will be fine. He actually encourages the people to, uh, to just go, go to Babylon, right? And he says this, thus says, this is in verse uh, 4 of uh, uh, Jeremiah 29. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, and to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and become the fathers of sons and daughters. And take wives for your sons and daughters and, uh, to hus and your daughters to husbands, that they may bear sons and daughters and multiply there and do not decrease. And seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you. Uh, into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for uh, in its welfare you will have welfare. Uh, for thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets who are in your midst and your diviners deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams which they dream, for they prophesy falsely to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, when seventy years have been completed for Babylon, I will visit you and fulfill my good word to you and bring you back to this place. The reason I share that is in the history of the Jewish people, in the history of Israel, uh, especially from where we're, where we're coming from, which is very different from Jeremiah's day. In Jeremiah's day, they could not conceive of not living in the land. They could not conceive of it. They've lived in the land since the days of uh, Joshua. 
Hundreds of years have gone by. This is our homeland. So Jeremiah is saying something so radical. I don't know how I would, I don't know how I would receive it. I'd probably be looking at him kind of, I don't know about this, Jeremiah. You know, leave the land, go to Babylon, uh, make a life there. How could it be, right? Now, from our vantage point, it's a little bit different. Yes, I mean, Jews have been living outside of Israel for thousands of years, right? Yes, there's a nation of Israel, and, you know, since, uh, in the, well, in the last hundred years, uh, in 1948, statehood, but a hundred years altogether or so, uh, even before that, maybe 125 years, 150 years. Uh, but, but to this day, there's just as many Jews outside of the land than, uh, than in the land, uh, and when you look at our, uh, our communal history, you know, when you think back on Jewish history, Jewish history is mostly outside of the land. When you think about Jewish history, even contemporary Jewish history, outside of, of the land, right? And we know that where Jewish people have gone, the land prospers. First of all, the land prospers. And, you know, when I teach our uh, kids, when our... Uh, mostly for our uh, bar and bot everything lessons, okay? Uh, uh, bar and bot mitzvah, bar and Abraham lessons. Uh, we talk about Jewish history, but we talk about Jewish history in terms of this issue of uh, we've been traveling uh, on this road for thousands of years, and one of the things that we learn is about, is about adapting, adapting, uh, that the Jewish people have learned to adapt in different environments, right? But... When, uh, when we're persecuted the most, that's when we remember who we are the most, right? And uh, once the emancipation began to happen in Europe, uh, that's where the challenge of assimilation uh, uh, came our way, you know? It wasn't much of a challenge, uh, you know, in most of the Middle Ages, okay? Uh, the, the, uh, the nations where our people have lived have reminded us very clearly that we are not of them, you know? Uh, and, uh, and so uh, it's kind of interesting here. Uh, this uh, 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 Jeremiah 29 reminds us, reminds us of that, uh, that uh, the Jewish people, just like in Joseph's day, Joseph prospered, the nation prospered. Uh, where Jewish people have lived, there is prosperity. I, you know, remember I did this once before. I, I didn't want to do it today because it's not the only focal point. Is to read a list of Nobel Prize winners who are Jewish. It's ridiculous when you think about uh, the numbers of Jewish people in the world. You know, it really is. Um, uh, it really is quite something. Uh, and I'm sure that you've, you know, you're aware of this and have read, uh, have read uh, histories, uh, have read histories of it. So we do have uh, we do have that Joseph becomes a mighty man in Egypt. He wields great power. He blesses Egypt, a model of the Jewish people through the ages, you know. And it comes back to uh, you know uh, Israel is called to be a blessing to the nations, and it is not uh, only certainly the pinnacle and the 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 greatest part of it has to do with Yeshua, no doubt, but it's uh, it's much broader than that. Uh, and uh, uh, the Jewish people have been a blessing uh, to the uh, to the nations. Just here, as as uh, 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 Joseph is a blessing to Egypt in a very in a very practical way, in an economic way, 
uh, in a way that keeps them alive. Uh, and, uh, and so uh, that's what we see. So Joseph is indeed a picture of Yeshua, uh, uh, and, and indeed, the, you know, the king of Israel, the king of the Jews, uh, and uh, of the Jewish people being a blessing uh, uh, to, the, uh, to the nations, okay? But this raises perhaps a challenge, and maybe a way of uh, looking at uh, this passage and this whole uh, end part of... Um, of the story of Joseph and of Genesis is this issue of remembering who we are. Now, first, let me just say uh, a key verse in this issue of how Joseph is a blessing in Egypt uh, is, um, is in verse 20, uh, 25 of chapter 47. So they said, the people say to Joseph, you have saved our lives. You have saved our lives. Let us find favor in the sight of my Lord, and we will be Pharaoh's slaves. Okay? So they really see in Joseph, like a savior, like you have saved our lives, Joseph. And so uh, uh, clearly uh, this, uh, this model, and that's, I, I, if I might suggest, with all those verses talking about exactly what Joseph did, it's all leading up to this, you have saved our lives. Joseph is a loyal Egyptian. Joseph is a patriotic Egyptian. Joseph has, a, has an Egyptian wife. The mother of Manasseh and Ephraim uh, is Egyptian. We would say, what a loyal citizen Joseph is. He has saved the nation and, and you know, an immigrant from Canaan, whatever you want to say. Wow. That is who Joseph is, okay? By the way, see, another very interesting Bible study would be comparing Daniel and Joseph uh, because uh, they're very different, yet kind of the same, but very different. And, uh, and it's very interesting. Uh, I don't think we'd ever really say of Daniel, wow, look at what, you know, Daniel, the, the patriotic Egyptian, or the patriotic uh, Babylonian, you know what I mean? But Joseph, man, he is at the top here, okay? So I think that it is fascinating now, having said all of that, what Jacob does. And that's what he does for the next couple of, what he does till he dies now, okay? All right, so now we read in verse 27 of chapter 47, now Israel lived in the land of Egypt, in Goshen, and they acquired property in it. That's very important. They acquired property in it, okay? And were fruitful and became very numerous. Oh, that's also very interesting. Because not only is Joseph the man in Egypt, but seemingly the promises that God has made to Israel is coming to pass in Egypt. Egypt is my kind of place. You know, that we have property in Egypt, we're fruitful in Egypt, everything's coming up roses along the Nile, you know? Uh, and, uh, and so, wow, that's pretty good. Then we read here, now Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years, which, by the way, is very interesting because he was reunited with, uh, 
with Joseph for as many years as he was with Joseph at, when he was born, 17 years. So it makes for nice little bookends here, doesn't it? Okay. And the length of Jacob's life was 147 years. Now, what's interesting here is in the, in the, day, in the end of the life of Abraham and the end of the life of Isaac, after it says that, they die. They die. It's over. But with Jacob, we have this long section of him blessing children, blessing the next generation. And he says certain things here that are very important. Okay? All right. So first he says this in verse 29. When the time for Israel to die drew near, he called his son Joseph and said to him, Please, if I have found favor in your sight, please now, uh, please n- place now your hand under my thigh and deal with me in kindness and faithfulness. Please do not bury me in Egypt. But when I lie down with my fathers, you shall carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burial place. And he said, I will, and he, Joseph said, I will do as you have said. And he said, swear, he, now Jacob, that this pronoun issue is always a big deal. Isn't it? You got to know who's who. And he said, swear to me, and he swore to him. Then Israel bowed in worship at the head of the bed. He's still not dead, right? (laughs) You would think, okay, now he's going to die. But no, not yet. Uh, So the first thing he says is, don't bury me in Egypt. Very important. Not just because he wants to be with his relatives. Not just, you know, uh, uh, my mother and father, may they rest in peace, they died in New Albany, uh, Ohio, but they were buried in Albany, uh, New York. Uh, and because that's where the family plot is, you know, uh, uh, a little bit different. We all have maybe, you know, that kind of experience with our loved ones. But this is not what Jacob's main concern is here. Bury me in the land that God promised. Bury me in Canaan, okay? This is not the first place where he's going, the first time now in these next few verses where he's going to mention this. But he, this is the first place, Okay. This is what I want you to do with me when I die. Bury me in the family plot in Machpelah, in the cave. You know, with Abraham and Isaac and Leah and Sarah and so on. Right? Okay? And I, yeah, did I say everybody? A few more, but anyway. Uh, bury me there. But it's not in Egypt. Very, very important. Not in Egypt. Don't forget, Egypt is not the homeland. Okay? Now we read, Now it came about after these things that Joseph was told... Behold, your father is sick. So he took his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, with him. When it it was told to Jacob, Behold, your son Joseph has come to you, Israel collected his strength and sat up in the bed. Then Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me. And he said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and numerous, and I will make you a company of peoples and will give this land to your descendants after you is an everlasting possession. Okay, so he's talking about the past. He's talking about the past. This is another thing that older people who don't have long to live uh, uh, often do, talk about the past. You know, when, uh, when my father was on his last days, I learned more about uh, his uh, uh, life than uh, in the other um, 50-some-odd years that I knew him. Uh, and uh, it was quite, quite interesting. Uh, but again, uh, Jacob is doing that, but he's also doing it for a purpose. He's doing it for a purpose. Okay. So first he says, God Almighty, El Shaddai. And that's always very interesting. It really should, shouldn't even be translated. Because it doesn't really mean God Almighty. Okay. It means just 
El Shaddai. Uh, and, uh, uh, but it's used almost every single time in the Bible about being fruitful and multiplying, in the promises of being fruitful and multiplying. Okay? We could get into the etymology of Shaddai, but we don't have, not going to do that today. All right? Uh, and, and, and so he's focused on, see, I think when he says God Almighty appeared to me, he's focused on the promise of being fruitful and multiplying. And remember, it says that they had property in Goshen and they were fruitful and multiplying. Okay. God appeared to me in Luz. Luz, remember Luz, right? What is Bethel? Yes, that's the answer. Okay. <laughs> right. Right. Okay. In the land of Canaan. And blessed me. And he said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and numerous, and I will make you a company of peoples, and I will give you this land, I will give this land to your descendants for an everlasting possession. This I will give this land, not this land, but this land. This land when I was in Canaan at Bethel, that land, not this land. Okay? Not Egypt. Not that beautiful place of Goshen. Not that land. So in his dying days. He's telling Joseph, get this, God made a promise to me not about this land, but about the promised land in Canaan, okay? All right. Now he's going to look to the future. Now he says, this is what God said. Now let's talk a little bit about the future, Joseph. Verse 5, and now your two sons who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt, are mine. Ephraim and Manasseh shall be mine as Reuben and Simeon are. The first two, right? Reuben and Simeon, right? Uh, and that's, that's a pretty big deal. They're getting elevated in their status here, right? These two grandsons are going to be as sons. And the reason for it, I would suggest, is a double portion that would be given to Joseph of an inheritance, okay? And that's how you end up with 12 tribes uh, of, uh, of Israel. Usually Levi is often not counted in terms of land. You have 12 tribes because Joseph gets two, and you never read about the tribe of Joseph. Okay. But your offspring that have been born after them shall be yours. They shall be called by the names of their brothers and their inheritance. In other words, only these two, Joseph. Okay. Other children, that's fine and dandy, but these two shall have an inheritance, shall have a son's inheritance. Now, as for me, when I came from Padan, Rachel died to my sorrow in the land of Canaan on the journey where there was still some distance to go to Ephrath, and I buried her uh, on the way there. Now, some people will say, and it's just kind of interesting, why does he bring up Rachel? Why is he bringing her up here? Some would say that perhaps it's sort of like we might have had more children, you know? And so I have Joseph and Benjamin, but now I, in a way... Uh, Manasha and Ephraim are like her children, you know, Rachel's children too. And so it's kind of interesting. Also, he mentions Canaan again. That's another thing, okay? Then he says, when Israel saw Joseph's sons, he said, who are these? That doesn't mean that he didn't know who they were. He never saw them before. Uh, but, you know, his eyesight was bad, as we'll read, or whatever the case may be. Uh, but he, we read earlier in chapter 45 that he knew that his grandchildren, okay? Okay. And Joseph said to his father, these are my sons whom God has given me here. So he said, bring them to me, please, that I may bless them. It is interesting that he doesn't say, these are our sons, me and the daughter of the uh, Egyptian priest. You know, he doesn't say that. That's just kind of an interesting thing to observe. 
Okay? They're my sons. Bring them to me, please, that I may bless them. Now, the eyes of Israel were so dim from age that he could not see. Then Joseph brought them close to him, and he kissed them and embraced them. Okay? And Israel said to Joseph, I never, this is such a great verse. I never expected to see your face, and behold, God has let me see your children as well. The best years of his life. Okay. Then Joseph took them from his knees and bowed with his face uh, to the ground. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim with his right hand toward Israel's left, and Manasseh with his left hand toward Israel's right, and brought them close to him. So, first of all, you know, do you ever wonder how old they are? They're probably teenagers, what we would call, you know, in our world today, teenagers. They're probably like 15 years old or so, given, given uh, when they were born and when Jacob came, to, and Jacob's been there for 17 years already, right? So it is pretty interesting, right? Okay, so then what Joseph is doing is Joseph is doing what any father would do. He's helping Jacob because naturally... Uh, Jacob's right hand should go on Manasseh, who is a little older, right? And his left hand should go on Ephraim. And, and because he's, it's hard for him to see and evidently hard for him to maneuver and get around, right? Uh, uh, Jacob places them where they're supposed to go, according to conventional uh, wisdom, all right? But Israel stretched out his right hand. He pulled the old switcheroo, Right? But Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on the head of Ephraim, who was the younger, and his left hand on Manasseh's head, uh, crossing his hands, although Manasseh was firstborn. Bam! Whoa. And we could say here, and before Joseph could say anything, <laughs> we read, and he blessed Joseph. Now, isn't it? He blessed Joseph. He blessed Joseph. He has his hands on the two sons, but he blessed Joseph. Because he sees this is, the, this is the fruit of Joseph, you know? And, uh, and Joseph is going to receive a double inheritance. And this is how that's going to happen, all right? And by the way, when you read in chapter 49, toward the end about the prophetic blessing on Joseph, you know, you'll see there's a lot of verses. And they're all about like blessing and richness. And so Joseph is, is blessed in a tremendous way. So Joseph is blessed. And, uh, you know, I, this is great. Uh, this could make a great little devotional on this and talk about, you know, when our children are blessed, it's a wonderful thing for us, right? And so Joseph is blessed in what, how God is going to interact through Jacob on his children. Joseph doesn't say, wait a minute, what about me? <laughs> you know? Okay. Okay. Uh, he blessed Joseph and said, the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked. This is all about legacy now, what he's going to say. The God who has been my shepherd all the days to this day. Boy, that's saying something. You know, through thick and thin, it really says something about uh, Jacob. That's for sure. The angel who has redeemed me from all evil. And of course, you say, whoa, whoa, what are we talking about there? Right? Well, you know, uh, when, you read the, when you read about Jacob... God worked through angelic beings in many different ways to accomplish his will. So there you go. The angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the boys, bless the lads, and may my name live on in them, 
and the names of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and may they grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. So Jacob is saying here, you know, uh, may the blessing that was passed from Abraham to Isaac to me be passed on to you. And that is an amazing thing, you know. He's, he's putting his hands on the children, on the grandchildren, right? Okay, uh, and so this is about legacy. May the legacy that I have received be passed on to you. And in particular, it's being fruitful and multiplying in the land that God had promised. Not here. Not in this great land that's been so good to us. But in the land that God had promised. Okay? Uh, and, uh, uh, and of course, this issue of the bim. Why does he do the, uh, the switcheroo there? Okay, it has to do with issues of election and issues of calling. That, and it's also a prophetic statement, just like everything that's going to be in chapter 49. This is what's going to happen. And this is indeed what ends up happening, is Ephraim becomes the dominant, uh, the dominant tribe, uh, frankly, after Judah. Ephraim becomes the dominant tribe. But, if, but Manasseh is right behind him. Manasseh and Ephraim are, are dominant tribes, but compared to each other, Ephraim is, uh, is more dominant, right? And later on in history, when the nation splits, yes, the, uh, the northern kingdom is called Israel, but it's also known as Ephraim. Oh, Ephraim, Ephraim, how can I give you up Ephraim and all of that, Right? Uh, so, uh, and, and it just goes to show you that God is calling the shots here. This is not the natural uh, election of the firstborn and inheritance. This is God saying, this is how it's going to be. And of course, you see this all the way through the text of Genesis, right? We don't need to belabor that point. Isaac and Ishmael, Jacob and Esau, and so on and so forth. The older shall serve the younger. The older shall serve the younger. It has to do with election and calling. Uh, And that also, again, then relates to the calling of Israel. What do we read in Deuteronomy? Not because you're the greatest of nations, not because you're more powerful than other nations, but because I love you. That's the calling. Okay? All right. Uh, All right. So now Joseph, he's up in arms. Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on Ephraim's head. It displeased him, and he grasped his father's hand and uh, to remove it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to his father, Not so, my father, for this one is the firstborn. Place your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. Don't think I'm senile here. (laughs) I know what I'm doing. Okay? He also shall become a people, and he shall... Uh, be great. However, his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his descendants shall become a multitude of nations. And he blessed them that day, saying, now this is very interesting, because we might ask ourselves, well, why does he just pray that over Manasseh and Ephraim about the legacy? Why not over all of them? Well, look what it says now. He blessed them that day, saying, by you Israel shall pronounce blessings, saying, may God make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. Thus he put Ephraim before Manasseh. And to this day, on Erev Shabbat, parents pray this this verse over their sons because 
what, what Jacob is saying is, is that what I'm saying to Manasseh and Ephraim is for all of the kinderlach, <laughs> you know, all of the grandchildren and all of their children's children and all of them. That is the legacy. That is the, uh, that is the legacy. You know, uh, it's interesting that today in, in the Jewish world uh, that, um, you know, there's a tradition of naming your children after deceased loved ones. And that also comes from this passage uh, where Jacob says, may my name live on in them. But sadly, it's not just about naming all your children with the first letter J, <laughs> you know, uh, or give everybody the name Jacob or Israel, but it's the promise of God. May my name, may the legacy that I have received live on in them. And so the point here is, is that Jacob is, may I suggest that Jacob is concerned that everything is great in Egypt, but this is not the homeland. Bury me in Canaan. The legacy is not in Egypt, even though we own property and we're fruitful. This is not the place. Just like in Jeremiah's day, when he said, go to Babylon, live there, get married there, start a business there, whatever, but after 70 years, I'm coming back for you and bringing you back. Never forget your identity. Never forget who you are. Never forget the calling on your life. Well, this certainly has application uh, uh, for all of us as Messiah followers. Okay? As, as Messiah followers, this, it has other applications uh, for Israel, for Jewish believers and all that. But, but for all of us, uh, as Messiah followers, we are living in the land of Goshen. We are living in the land of Goshen. We have it all, right? We live in a place where we're prosperous. We live in a place where we raise our children. We live in a place where uh, we, uh, you know, we... Some of us serve in the military or armed forces. We live in a place of where there is prosperity and that we're real thankful for, right? I mean, we are. We should be, right? Thankful for it and, and all of that. Uh, because in the providence of God, uh, we're able to be born and raised and live in a place where we can, you know, generally speaking, all things being equal, we can do pretty much whatever we want to do, be whatever we want to be and work hard and, and, uh, and have that, you know, and, uh, and, and it's really wonderful. But we have to remember also that this is not our home, right? That this is not our home. And I, uh, now I'm not talking here, it's, we don't have time for me to talk about how the relationship of Israel to the Jewish people today and you know, and Jewish believers and all that. But as, as Messiah followers, we can make a, a kind of an application for our own selves in the way we view where we live, okay? And you know, this was really a, uh, this was something that uh, in the Brit Hadashah uh, really is, um, uh, comes out, certainly in the life of Rav Shaul and the life of Paul. Uh, in 2 Corinthians, chapter 5, he says this, beginning in verse 4, 
For indeed, while we are in this tent, we groan, the other's body, this tent, we groan being burdened because we do not want to be unclothed, but to be clothed in order that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now he who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave us the Spirit as a pledge. Therefore, being always of good courage, and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith and not by sight, we are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be home with the Lord. Therefore, also we have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Messiah, that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the, in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. And so how important is it for us to recognize that, you know, Yeshua is our king. He is the one whom we serve. Uh, and, and he is our destiny. He is our destiny. Very, very important uh, for us to, uh, to get. That means always looking to the future. He was always looking to the future. Okay? Uh, we read, uh, uh, for example, okay, uh, in uh, Philippians chapter 3, these words, you're familiar with them in verses uh, 20 and 21. For I have, uh, yes, for our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, our Lord Yeshua HaMashiach who will transform the body of our human state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even given to subject all things to himself. The point being is we eagerly wait for a deliverer. We eagerly wait for a savior, the Lord Messiah Yeshua. Our citizenship is in heaven. His point is, is that our... our um, uh, our mind, the verse before it where he talks about uh, setting the mind on earthly things. You know, oftentimes, by the way, earthly things has to do with sins of the flesh. Uh, but I think it's important for us to get that, you know, what is our priorities? What, is, what are our goals uh, in life? What is our destiny? What is our primary uh, identity? For him, his primary identity is in the Lord and wanting to uh, be transformed and looking forward to the day uh, of, that of that ultimate transformation. And everything else is we're passing through. See? In, um, you know, in uh, Titus chapter 2, I think I brought this up on Hanukkah, actually. Okay, in Titus 2, he says this at the end of the chapter, uh, beginning in verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness, and worldly desires, and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Messiah Yeshua, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed, purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. These things speak and exhort and reprove with all authority and let no one disregard you. Looking forward, looking for the Lord, looking for uh, the blessed hope. 
uh, uh, how important is it? When Paul, uh, you know, there's, a, there's uh, many verses we could talk about. I'm not going to uh, uh, point out more other than just simply to say that the goal wasn't to just uh, enjoy life uh, and, you know, in, where we live, but to realize that we're aliens and strangers. This is not the homeland, right? And that wherever we live in this world, we're, we have a calling and a purpose. And that calling and purpose is uh, uh, to be a, uh, a testimony uh, of, uh, of, of the Messiah, wherever, uh, we may, wherever we may be, wherever we may, uh, wherever we may live. Uh, and so for all of us, I think I'll probably stop there. For all of us, the, uh, the, the question is, you know, uh, what is my primary identity? What is the calling? What is the, uh, what is the promise? And the promise, just like with uh, uh, Jacob uh, and his family, uh, the promise was uh, not in the land where we seem to be prosperous, but in Eretz Yisrael, right? In the land of, uh, in, in the land of Israel. Now that is, that, this is great, this is a great message uh, for Jewish uh, people and Jewish believers uh, regarding that identity and that calling. But for all of us, if we're all under the kingship of the Messiah of Israel, that needs to be a priority for us, right? The homeland of Eretz Yisrael needs to be a priority for us. Israel, the land of Israel needs to be a priority uh, uh, for us of interest and concern and support and all that. But then above and beyond that, uh, we need to say, what are the interests of God and, uh, you know, and of my homeland in Messiah? And of course, one of the great models is, you know, the wilderness wanderings, right? The wilderness wanderings. And we read about that in a lot of passages, that, that our walk with the Lord is kind of like, kind of like the wilderness wandering, right? Uh, and that when Israel was redeemed out of Egypt, right? It wasn't, uh, they weren't in the promised land. They were in a desert. They were in a worse place, right? But they were with the Lord. They were under the kingship of the Lord, not under the kingship of Pharaoh. And that made it the right place. Wherever he is, that's where the best place for them was. And God used them in a, uh, you know, and, and trained them there to get to the promised land. And so, uh, we read, you know, uh, just one place that comes to mind quickly is in Ephesians, you know, in the uh, fifth uh, chapter, it says, Husbands, love your wives just as Messiah also loves the assembly, loves the believers, and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her uh, by the washing of water of the word, that he might present to himself. You know, the assembly of believers in all her, her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she should be holy and blameless. Right now, that is what God, God is preparing us. Regardless of where we live, what country we live, what economic system we're under, what, uh, you know, uh, what our uh, cultural situation might be, whatever it is, he's preparing us for that day, right? We're look for, we have a, therefore we have a living hope. It's not just about where we're at now or what we can accumulate in this life and save up for our retirement or, uh, you, you know, or, or thinking about this is, our, this is the promised land. No, all our eggs are in one basket. All our eggs are in the basket of Yeshua, regardless of what happens here, 
right? And so, you know, it's the end of the year and going to be the new year. And I think it's a good thing to contemplate and to think about everything from, you know, uh, how do I really view my prosperity in this land uh, compared to my walk with the Lord? Where is my real allegiance? Where is my real allegiance? That's what this is about in the Joseph story. What is my real allegiance? Okay. Uh, and then also, what am I, what is the legacy that I'm bringing to another generation? You know, what, am, what are we teaching the next generations? And how important it is for all of us to recognize the calling we have to pour ourselves into younger people. How important that is. And that is what, that is a priority in the story and a priority for, uh, for Jacob. And it doesn't matter if they're your own. It doesn't matter if they're your children or your grandchildren. Or, you know, maybe you don't have children. Maybe you don't have grandchildren. But there's plenty of kids around here. You know, uh, plenty of young people. And looking around the room, I can say plenty of people younger than yourself. <laughs> okay? Uh, and, uh, and so, the, you know, pouring this legacy of allegiance to God... And then isn't that exactly what we do every single week when we say the Shema? We're pledging allegiance to God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Right? And we love him with everything. Love and fear, two sides of the same coin. Deuteronomy course. Anyway, uh, uh, two sides of the same coin. Uh, loving him with everything that we have. Our allegiance is indeed with the Lord. And so may that indeed be our priority. May we prioritize our time our efforts, our finances, our everything, so that it reflects what the heart of Jacob was. You know, don't forget the promise of God, Messiah Yeshua. Let's pray. Lord uh, God, thank you for uh, this great reminder to us of who we are and our calling. It's hard to remember, you know, when we think about the prosperity that, that we have, here in this country, and everything that, uh, that is ours, Lord, we do pray, Lord, that we might uh, really realize that, that is not, this is not the homeland, uh, and that this is not the pri- these are not the priorities, that we are called to seek you first, and that you'll provide for us whatever we need. Like Joseph and the Egyptians, we give it all to you, Lord, and we thank you that you are benevolent, you know, and, and supply our needs. So wherever we're at in life, Lord, I pray that as we approach the end of the year and think about the future, that we might prioritize our whole lives to reflect our allegiance uh, to you, whether we're talking about the place, the people, uh, or our ethics and morals and, and walk with you. We thank you, God, for this great reminder. We pray in Messiah's name. Amen.